Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Stefan Hedebrandt, co-founder and CMO of Dream Data. In this episode, Stefan shared how documenting quality content and sharing on social opened many doors for him. He also went on to tell us what Dream Data does and how they offer multi-touch account-based attribution. We then dove into the power of positioning and understanding who your ideal customer profile is on churn and retention, how Stefan and the team orient their marketing and sales efforts around their ideal customer profile for healthier retention, and explains why they turn customers away that don't fit their ideal customer profile. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Stefan, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, and I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to the uh, conversation. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Stefan is the Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder of Dream Data, a B2B revenue attribution platform. And prior to Dream Data, Stefan was the Head of Marketing at Airtame, where he joined as the first marketer. And Stefan was also previously the country manager for the Nordics at Upwork. So my first question for you, Stefan, is what has been your hardest personal challenge in starting Dream Data almost three? Let's do two things. One thing is deciding to go full-time entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. Because like I've always been work, I've been working in startup and growth companies, but like saying, okay, now it's, t- it's the time to, 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 to put, uh, put all chips on, on, the, yeah. on the table and, and do it myself. That was a really hard transition. And then, uh, you know, being a, the only commercial founder of three people, then I did all the first sales and did all the first uh, sales leadership. And I have had absolutely no uh, experience with sales, realizing that sales is an actual craft and there's so many things that matters in sales came to me a little bit as, as a surprise because of course I've always been doing marketing and growth, which is, Hey, I'm serving you all these great leads. And there's so much demand. Why are you not selling more? Yeah. Well, okay. the slide decks are ugly. We had bad reviews, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many things that actually implement that makes it harder to sell. And little by little, you'll learn that it's a craft. First, there's a craft of being a good salesperson. And then there's a craft of being a good sales leader. <laughs> and you can't really master all of it uh, so fast enough. Yeah. That's very interesting. And I think obviously then from a marketing perspective, you get a new appreciation for the relationship between sales and marketing as well. Uh, and yeah. 
Um, and you mentioned like you, you found it really hard to make that leap and to jump into entrepreneurship. We chatted just before the show as well that you actually started out as a blogger for Borson and to, with the idea of maybe one day starting something like, how did you get going with that? Because obviously we mentioned that's exactly what I did with this show. The idea was just being like, I wanted to start a new business. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do yet at the time. So I said, let's just start building an audience. How's that? So I think. If I think back, maybe I was in 2010, I started following uh, Gary Vaynerchuk back when he was still really small, Yeah, but I could just see that kind of, he was just constantly saying this thing about document what you do, document don't create. And I thought like, I'm not dumber than anyone else. <laughs> so I, I can just start writing about it on blogs, maybe on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, etc. I see this kind of all my social media is a tool that I need to use for the rest of my, probably my working career. So, you know, the more reach and the more quality that I can put into those channels, the more I can also extract from it at some point when I, when I need it. Yeah, for sure. I think the main focus, like you said, is just having that emphasis on quality uh, content going out and pays itself back. For me, like the podcast originally was really just to start building an audience. And then I just keep getting surprised by the, the different ways that it delivers value back. Yeah. Really I think the most, the bigger thing also now we're pushing really hard on social selling at, uh, at Green Data now. And no, you don't see most of the things. It's, I think it's a little bit like an iceberg that you see the tip of what the value it creates for you. Yeah. But it's also opening tons of doors that you will never, ever find out about. So. Just do appreciate when you find out about some of the things, but as you say, so if you're putting out good quality, this good quality is opening so many doors for you that you will not even find out. Absolutely. So talking a little bit about dream data, then obviously a B2B revenue attribution platform, but maybe you want to give us a little bit of an overview why you're different to existing solutions. Yeah. So it's a dream that is basically a go-to-market data platform in essence. It's a place that to which you connect every single uh, tool that touches your account journeys. So that's from the first touch of ads to visits on your website, to the actions of your salespeople and customer success people, and when they start using your product. If there's a digital touch anywhere, we want to pull it over to, to Dream Data. And then we keep an account-based data model on your behalf. Where's the customers coming from? No. Ultimately, if they churn, which channel did they enter from? What did the salespeople sell them, et cetera. So we, we try to be that hub that instead of you having eight different data silos, silos, each with their own little part of the customer journey, you just connect it to dream data. Then we extract the data and clean it and join it and make it easy accessible for your employees. Very cool. And how is that then different from like a, something like a segment, uh, customer data platform? So. In, in, in some ways we're, uh, you know, we're a B2B CDP with a purpose. <laughs> so we're, we're building to do customer journeys, to do an account-based data model with a tool like segment. It's very much DYI. Uh, so like, yeah. okay, we, we, we can dump all this data into a data warehouse for you, but then you need to make sense of it. And what we've said is that. Yes, you need the segment tracking data, but you also need some CRM data and you need some customer success data and we pull all of it in and then model it for you. So it's, it's just, you want to build it yourself off and hire four data scientists and spend a ton of money on it, or do you want to just let us do it? Cool. Yep. And, uh, and then sort of 
attribution being one of the central points and being able to understand where the customers are coming from, what closed the deal. Very nice. And I think like in the context of churner attention, attribution is really something very, very powerful to understand and know. Uh, because ultimately, if you can see what channels you're acquiring customers from, which channels they tend to stick around with, and where you're finding your best fit customers, it can ultimately yeah, save you a lot of pain in the future. Um, so I, yeah, and I, I think there's some people that think very narrow when you say attribution, but I think very broad. To me, it means get all the data that you have available into one place, and then you can take the revenue component from your CRM and split it. You, you can have an opinion about what is the most valuable thing. Yeah. And for me, it's about getting every single touch on that customer journey into somewhere. <laughs> then you can do attribution, but you can also inspect whether that one email is working and so forth. You can also say, if the first touch, is that going to increase the likelihood of churn or if it, it's a, is it going to decrease? And then in that, are you doing then multi-touch account-based attribution? So looking at all the touches across a specific account, looking at what was the first, the last, how that spread without the organization. And yeah. Yes. So we, our data model is account-based. Oh, yeah. So we, be, we believe that there's such a thing as a world where one company is selling to another company, which in like speaking of segment and all the other tools out there is that they're still individually based, they're lead based. Yeah. So we can see, for example, when we sell dream that there's five people involved in a deal in average, or we know five emails. And if those five emails were just operating independently, then we had no clue what's going on. Yeah. So our data model keeps a timeline of every time there's a touch in the account and that's the transparency we're trying to, to provide. That's great. Cause I think like, that's also one of the big things I think when people get started with like attribution products is generally they tend to see like a large percentage of their acquisition coming from direct uh, sources, but that's not yeah. necessarily the case where that account specifically discovered it from, because it's like somebody sees an ad somewhere or reads a blog post or uh, discovers some piece of content, they go in and then they share it with their team, but that might be a link on Slack directly to the site. And then for all, it's just a direct. Uh, direct traffic, but ultimately it wasn't really, there was another touch that happened before that. And yeah. Yeah. Like, like a simple example can be, let's say there's four touches before a demo call is booked. Then the first click can be from like a Google search ad, you know, let's say somebody searched for customer sex success, and then you arrive to your website. Then the next time they come to the website, they organically Google your brand name. And then they come to one or two more times, just directly to the website. If they booked the demo call there, it looks like direct was the source where in fact, it was actually one of your ads that actually started that journey. And if you don't see this, you can't spend your money in a reasonable way exactly. or you're growing a lot slower than you, you could be doing. Yeah. And then it gets a lot more complicated when you look at adding on team members to that as well. And sometimes the person <laughs> who actually signs up for the product and creates the account might even be in finance who never ever saw an ad and just got that link from the team member. Cool. And then in the context of it, like how have things been going at Dream Data? What's been one of your challenges when it comes to churn and retention? So yeah, I was just anecdotally telling you this before we started, but we, we've really done a lot of work around our ideal customer profile and our positioning of what is the product and who is it good for. Let me just give a, a quick shout out to April Dunford, who wrote a book called Obviously Awesome about how to nail product positioning so customers get it, buy it, and love it. Uh, 
And I think this book has, it's gone hand in hand with our work on ideal customer profiles. Because in the beginning, when you start a new company, you're just so desperate to sell that you just, you just sell to every, anyone who's going to be willing to buy your product. But then you realize when the contract is up for renewal, that you actually sold to somebody who were not like in a good position to renew or the product was not positioned to make the customer super happy. <laughs> and then little by little, we've learned that for us, an ideal match is a B2B SaaS company. In the beginning, we were selling to hardware companies, manufacturers, logistics companies, all sorts of things. But what we found out with our product is that we, we want companies who produce a lot of digital touches because those are the ones we use to actually understand what's going on. And with SaaS companies, you get, you have to, the marketing spend is digital, the salespeople sit with inside sales tools and the mm -hmm. product is delivered uh, digitally as well. So you can, you can close the loop of, of the customer journey. Yeah. Whereas if you sell, sold, sell to a hardware manufacturer, there might be some digital spend and some locked calls, but you have no clue who ended up buying the product and you know what, then you lose those customers <laughs> at, at some point. So uh, I think my best advice to people just thinking about churn or uh, are new to it is to think about who is your ideal customer, perhaps easier come up with a, an antithesis to what, who is your ideal customers. So, yeah. you know, when an email converts to say, this thumbs up, we should try to sell to these guys or these, they're not going to be happy and they're going to churn even if we could sell to them. Yeah. That's very interesting. I think April Dunfin as well, we had her on the show. We'll add that, uh, like ah, that episode nice. uh, too as well. Yeah, definitely an amazing book. And I think it really is one of those things that a lot of people underestimate is really the power of positioning. And then secondly, like the power of under, really understanding who your ideal customer profile is, because as you mentioned in the beginning, you might want to sell to anyone and everyone. And that's ultimately what's causing you the lot of pain when it comes to general attention. It also has a counter point as well that Typically, these customers need a lot more support and uh, they bring a lot more pain to the company. So you end up spending a lot of time serving people that aren't really the best fit for your business and ultimately not doing anybody justice or anybody a good service. So walk us through, like, how did you figure this out then? What were your steps that you took to realize? And when was the moment when you said, okay, oh shit, like there's a problem. We need to figure this out. It's first of all, it's always, as you start a company, you're desperate. And if your bank account is low, you just, sometimes it's very hard to resist to do the sale uh, if it's just at your doorsteps. But I think when we started to have the first customers up for renewal, you start to think about, oh, I wish it wasn't this type of customer, because then I could at least not blame that they actually was not a good fit for the product. I think when you're in these subscription businesses, you start to realize that once the subscription is up for renewal, you start seeing the pains. Why are they not happy? What could we have done more? Should we have to read? <laughs> and if you just sell to bad fits, there's probably not much you could have done <laughs> at, at the end. And then I want to say uh, our investors has also been good at pushing us towards uh, this direction because, you know, we have seed stage investors now and we're raising a series A now, and they probably know that the numbers that these guys are going to be looking at is numbers about churn. So yeah, that's not getting focused there. And you also both in a churn perspective, but also in a growth perspective, you need a clear messaging. You know, if you are to say something to another person about dream data, it cannot be like a long 10 page <laughs> long story about what it is. Yeah. You need to be quite clear about 
who is it for and what does it do? Uh, otherwise, that message uh, can't really travel. And I think what we've also found out is that with an ideal customer profile defined and also in, enforced is that all other decisions become a lot easier. Should we build this feature or should we build this feature? Which word should we use in the blog post? Uh, for us, it should be like words that SaaS companies like. Who should we make case studies with? <laughs> what text goes on the website, et cetera, et cetera. So if you really start like making your yeah, it should be like the North Star of all yeah. the decisions you make. Then a lot, a lot of things become so much simpler. For sure. And I, I think the point you make is on the beginning, like when you just need to get things working and you need to generate revenue, it's all right to sell them to those companies, like even knowing, uh, because I think what they allow you to do is to build up that runway, to build the fuel so that you can find some more of the best fit customers and get to the point where you can actually realize that, okay, this is something that we need to fix. And then uh, when we started enforcing it, I would, uh, I would just say also, it takes a good deal of patience. I'm thinking we are, you're easily looking at six months, maybe even 12 months before the market starts to repositioning inside their own head about who are you for and what do you do? So it also takes some persistency or faith in that it, you have made the right decision and now you should keep enforcing it. Keep enforcing it. Yeah. And so you got to the end of the first year, I'm assuming like you're doing yearly contracts. I can correct me if I'm wrong. Mostly. Yeah. 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 And then you realize, okay, this is a problem for us. We need to figure out who this ideal fits uh, looks like. What were the steps you took there to realize? What was the data you were looking at? What made you get yeah. to the realization? I think it was really rooted in where the product is most likely to succeed. So like. I, we want to help people understand their customer journeys. And if we are to do, we'll need a lot of data about their customer journeys. And then little by little, you get to a place where you can see, oh, it's probably SaaS companies who produce a lot of data, but then you can go even deeper and then you can say who actually has, you know, manpower and capital to, to, to have a product like this. Okay. But then maybe there should be more than 50 people. <laughs> Ideally, they should also have investment. So the investors are going to be pushing for those numbers. And yeah, we prefer them English speaking. So maybe it's just Europe and North America for now. So you can really like, you can go so deep into it as you like, just critically ask yourself, do we more know more about them? Hmm. Is it a certain CRM system that is even better at uh, delivering for? And the more specific you can be, the also the more targeted with the features, the advertising, the salespeople, et cetera, that you can be. Yeah, for sure. I think like for us as well, previously when I was at Hotjar, I worked with the team on a lot of this research around like identifying our ideal customer profile. And one of the things I think like that hit me and one of the big realizations was that we originally started out just like you as well, looking at the data, look, trying to understand, okay, what was the best fit, and to actually looking at say, uh, in our case, it was like month to month. It was like monthly subscriptions. Typically, we didn't have yeah. many yearly subscriptions. Even at the time, I think when we did the research, we didn't even have a yearly plan the first time around. And again, what we did was like pivot, stack around for more than 12 months, spending over a certain amount. So we started to look at what are the firmographic and demographic properties, which yeah. is great. It served us well. We got had a good understanding in the beginning. But I think what we realized like over time as well, and probably this might be something that you come to a new realization as well over like a few years is that. When you first do this work, your ideal customer profile that you look at when you're just looking at data alone is that it's 
a direct reflection of the product that you have today and the marketing that you've done up until that point, because those are the people that you <laughs> through the door. And sometimes over time, like you might see new opportunities or the market might be evolving in new ways. And uh, the ideal customer profile then can change and it can shape. And then yeah. it does, like you said, change all those decisions when it comes to products and when it comes to marketing and, and so forth. But it's definitely a very interesting exercise to continuously do. Yeah, that's probably very true that you, it's probably good to pull it up once a year or or yeah. something like that to say, are we, do we still believe that this is the right direction or do we want to set up a sub team that can address this new part of the market with some content on the website for, for those guys? Yeah. Because is the market changing? Are the trends moving in a different direction? Is there some big seismic shift that's changed the way people operate today and very interesting stuff and then so you mentioned like it took about six months for uh, the market to understand can you explain that a little bit because as well in my mind and similarly like uh, in transparency like for us like i have a startup as well called Avrio. we're like in this phase now where we're just really trying to figure out to nail our positioning and i would like how in my mind i wouldn't even worry about like the market itself because i think we're so small and insignificant at this point that nobody yeah. really knows about it. So what do you mean by it took six months for people just to understand it and to the shift? Yeah, let me try to think about it. So this like this positioning or whatever we want to call it, it starts with a paper exercise that you do inside of your own company. And then at some point you say, now we've analyzed enough, we've written everything down, but it doesn't mean anything because nobody knows about it. It's just you and your team that agreed upon this is our ideal customer profile, but as you say, you're so small and who cares? <laughs> so an ideal customer is actually only real when you actually also start acting upon it, meaning that this is, so I can just go through a, a bunch of things we do. So when we have a conversion on, on our website, we have somebody who manually looks at the, that email saying, is this an ideal customer profile? Yes, no. If no, we just put it into it. We use the HubSpot and then it just goes into the closed loss comment column. We can't use that for anything. If it fits the ideal customer profile, we assign it to a salesperson. This one you can work on because they are likely to be happy. They're likely to be willing to buy our product. So we do, another thing is that we do a lot of social selling on, on LinkedIn. And I don't know if you know it, but you have a hundred connects per week there. And our, everybody in our company are only allowed to connect with people who fits the ideal customer profile. So the audience we are building is also going towards our ideal customer profile. So when we do all the social selling on LinkedIn, we try to post anywhere between one and five times a week per person there. The content we put there is somewhat minded towards the ideal customer profile and the audience we're building is the ideal customer profile. We've also upgraded uh, G2 reviews a lot because G2 is software reviews and we do software and we know a lot of our ecosystem are using G2. So that's another place we need to strengthen our positioning because these guys who are likely to buy our product will be, first of all, they have their own G2 profiles and they know what it is, but they'll also be researching software there. We try to, from through everything we do really to just, you know, calm through and align it towards the ideal customer profile. And if you then acquire demand, you do marketing and you put it in front of people who are not your ideal customer profile, then all the money you spent here is just going to look like cost because they're never ever going to buy your product because 
they're not the people who are likely to use it or be happy about your product. Very cool. And then you mentioned as well, if a customer is not a good fit, you put in a closed lost uh, column. What happens to those customers? Do you still allow them to purchase the product or do you only have a, there's no self-serve model, it's only sales? Uh, and now there is a, so we have a, a free tier that everybody can use and uh, we just don't spend our salespeople's time on them. Yeah. And if they're a B2C company, we actively tell them to, to go to one of the B2C companies that we are the providers that we recommend. Oh yeah. Wow. So in that, that sense, I think we're very like, if it's clearly a bad fit, we'd push them somewhere, somewhere you else. push them away. That's great. Yeah. And then when it comes to sort of customer success on that side, then as well, like how do you have a customer success team? How is it set up? How do you operate? Yeah. So they, they typically get involved after that. Typically when contract is signed, then the customer success team is responsible for onboarding our, our paid customer, but they are also sometimes pulled into the sales conversation before signing just making sure that we're actually able to deal with the tech stack that, that they have. We integrate with the most typically used at Serum systems by SaaS companies, which is Salesforce, uh, Hotspot, Microsoft Dynamics, Pipedrive, etc. So if they use these platforms, we know the typical FAQs around them. So we can actually, and that's another way to keep aligning it better. towards. Yeah. yeah. It makes the job of uh, customer success so much easier than as well, like having a really specific customer you're serving, you can go a lot deeper in terms of the level of service you deliver as well. Uh, yeah, I think, but where the, the challenge is also like when you get so busy, just onboarding new customers, you think where we need to get even better is the kind of activation slash self, uh, activation, that whole learning the, the environment about how you can use the product because like we have. <laughs> Because we have all data about the customer journey, there's also 1,000 analysis you can do with that data if you want to. Yeah. So we need to build up this whole learning environment about if you have this situation, you can do this analysis. That's where we need to get better. But I think maybe that's a, a natural progression uh, as you go along. Absolutely. It definitely is I, uh, something we hear yeah. about on the show and uh, you, the sophistication I, grows over time. Yeah. But I fundamentally believe that modern... Uh, website should supply an answer to any questions that any customer can be asking. And I, I feel like that as well uh, myself when I'm shopping online nowadays that I don't want to speak to sales at all. If I can avoid it, just yeah. enable me to find the answer myself and I'll do it. And that's the kind of words we live by with Greenlit as well, that we want to build up such a good documentation and such a good learning environment that that you can basically supply yourself with, uh, with, with the answers. Yeah. I think that's definitely a good uh, path to take, but I think the other thing as well is that like different people have different preferences and at some point being able to meet all those preferences really is a big uh, plus that you can have against like others uh, who are focusing on a single channel. I remember yes. having this discussion as well, like in content was like, should we do a video or should we do a post? Like there's just some people that are visual learners and prefer to watch uh, than to read. And there's other people that just love reading and don't want to sit and watch a video. So like figuring out the right balance or mm. if you can, and you do have the resources, being able to serve customers where they want to be served uh, is ultimately the best. Yeah, I can have a very specific example that just about a year ago, we launched this uh, free tier where you can try the product yourself before yeah. uh, buying. And up until then, it was all book a demo call and we'll take you through the, the process. And I think nowadays, two thirds of our signups are free and then one third books a demo. And I think that really a lot of people just 
prefer not to talk to sales before there's, it's a contract situation. And instead of being forced into this demo call and saying, this is the buying process you need to take. And it, and it is the same with content. Some people prefer to listen, some watch, others read. You need to make all of them available. It's tough, but in the beginning, you don't have the resources to do it. So you need to pick and choose, you know? Yeah, we definitely don't. Cool. I see we're running out of time. So I want to save for the two questions I ask every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new company, churner attention is not good at all. The CEO comes to you and says, Stefan, like you really need to turn things around. You're in charge. You have 90 days to do it. What do you do? The catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers. I'm going to look at the data and see what the problems are out there. <laughs> you're just going to pick one thing that you've seen be effective in the past. Like one tactic that a company where you previously worked at was really effective and you're going to run with that blindly hoping it works. What would you do? So well, I think the most extreme customer success situation I've been in was at Airtime where they did this crowdfunding campaign. And when you do a crowdfunding campaign for a piece of hardware that is super hard to, to make, not everybody's going to be happy. So what we actually did at Airtime was that we one-on-one -on -one emailed every single customer and asked them, are you happy about the product? If not, can we please help you make it work for you? So we went through, I think up, 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 up towards like 10,000 people. We emailed one-on-one -on -one and made sure that they were set up and they were happy. Yeah. What, what we did there then was that we found out, okay, when you make somebody happy, you've all supposed to generate a little piece of goodwill and that little piece of goodwill, you can turn into a review or a referral post on social media, et cetera. Yeah. But this thing about asking, you know, not a standardized NPS click here, what you may recommend friend, but like sending like a one-on-one -on -one mail and then actually taking the time to give a one-on-one -on -one answer afterwards can be a very effective way of winning friends one by one. Yeah, not a super scalable one, but definitely very effective. And I think that's the challenge as well. Like when asking this question in 90 days, there's not much you can do. I think that is scalable and it is almost a trick question to turn right because anything really effective that's going to solve churn in the long term takes time to get done. Mm. Cool. What's one thing that you know today about churn retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? So that'll sound like a broken record, but do be very deliberate about your ideal customer profile, who are you selling to, who are you not selling to, and let that be the guidance of all your decisions in growth, uh, product, uh, customer success, uh, etc. I love that. And uh, it's a good summary of this episode uh, as well. Okay. Stefan, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with before we uh, finish up today? Oh, I think that's good. People are very welcome to, you know, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll help reply any questions that they, they might have. Very cool. Well, definitely make sure to leave any uh, notes and uh, links to the resources we chatted about today. And uh, thanks so much again for joining. Really appreciate it. And wish you best of luck now going into the, this new year. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Evan. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. 
and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.